0: Welcome to EcoTalk, a discussion about Southern New England's economy, ecology, and ecosystems, hosted by Shannon Bradley and Sam Elwell, We took a long hiatus, but now we're back and ready to tackle the most pressing issues in environmental and climate justice in Rhode Island. EcoTalk is a production of EcoRI News and their Communities of Hope program at Roger Williams University. EcoTalk is a collaborative environmental justice podcast that reports on pressing issues in the South New England area. For EcoTalk's first episode, students at Roger Williams University working for Communities of Hope looked into the environmental impacts of industries in Washington Park, Providence.
1: Washington Park is a lower-income neighborhood in the Port of Providence whose community is impacted by industrial facilities nearby. Landfills, metal production companies, chemical plants, and manufacturers all produce pollutants that are known to be harmful to human health. Current concerns include water contamination, toxic metal dust in the air, chemical air pollutants, and fossil fuel consumption.
0: President of the Washington Park Neighborhood Association, Linda Perry, says that the people of her district are tired of the constant drip of misery that is caused by these facilities. The toll of living in this neighborhood is not only on environmental health, but mental health as well.
1: Our team of journalists that reported on this situation also found some solutions to current issues. They discovered that wind turbines are being used to replace fossil fuels in energy production.
0: Reporters Jack Avilas and Dan Long, for example, identified a few ways to address issues with solid waste. Here's Jack reporting for Communities of Hope.
1: Jack spoke with Roger Williams University journalist Jimmy Sadowski.
0: What did you learn about
2: air pollution in the Port of Providence? Uh, I mean, I learned it's a very significant problem enough for a new initiative to be created. Um, I think it was an air toxic study was the official term um, to be done in the Port of Providence individually for different companies there. And, you know, they had to go collect data on a spreadsheet and everything. So it's definitely significant enough to warrant. Uh, $265,000, that was the uh, grant. The um, Rhode Island DM. They recognize that Port of Providence, too, it's um, an environmental justice community. People people living there are disproportionately affected by air pollution where other areas of Providence aren't. With Providence Community Health Centers, the one down by Allen's Avenue near Gansett Improvement Company, there's a ton of pollution down there coming from... uh, the improvement company because it was a liquid asphalt. It is a liquid asphalt plant. Mm. And also, they had a warehouse too um, down the street where they were, and they were grinding up asphalt and it was like going through the air. Washington Park at South Providence, Providence Community Health Centers, it was 39 children were admitted uh, because of asthma problems, but. Uh, On the east side of Providence, which is probably the richest part of Providence, there were only eight kids with asthma. So right there, that's some really important data showing, you know, they're disproportionately affected by air pollution down there in Washington Park in the Port Mm -hmm. of
3: Providence. Another question I wanted to ask was, what professionals slash people did you talk to and what did they have to say about it? I know Linda Perry was one of them, but...
2: Yeah, yep. Karen Slattery uh, was probably one of the better sources I had. She's from the OXA of Air Resources. She's the deputy administrator and she's the okay. one running that study, air toxic study. Still probably in progress, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. Dr. Andrew Saul, that's S-A-A-L. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the chief medical officer of the Providence Community Health Centers. And he's the one who, the forget what the name of the thing was, but it was like a town meeting basically where he had talked about... Uh, the air pollution and how it differs from clinic to clinic.
3: I'm assuming they basically said what you just did when you answered the first question, like how it yeah. affected the community. Yeah, um, I mean different ways,
2: but yeah.
3: And then the last question was: Was there any possible solutions you came up with for uh, air pollution in the Port of
2: Providence? Between the ports of Long Beach and LA, uh, there were, like a lot of diesel trucks and stuff, and. They had a lower emissions plan for the port, Mm -hmm. and they had different principles and items like air monitoring, enhanced review of air quality, uh, something like that, I guess. Um, I think what they're doing right now is good because they're looking at specific sources, and they're going there and investigating them, whereas before they weren't. Mm -hmm. They're just taking people at their word, so that's Mm -hmm. good.
3: Sweet. Well, I appreciate uh, you taking your time out to tell
0: me all that stuff.
1: That was Jack Avila's reporting. Next, hear him speak with Roger Williams University journalist, Sam Elwell.
0: If I remember correctly, this was kind of the basis. There was a whole issue with fossil fuel storage kind of being around Port of Providence. And one of the things we noticed was that there was a few wind turbines that have already been created. And there was also Johnson and Wales has a lease for 25 years with Green Development, LLC. They're based in Cranston, Rhode Island. They're supposed to be generating about 4.3 megakilowatts of energy per year for the campus. And there's already, I believe it's three or four wood turbines that are already set okay. up on the Johnson and Wales campus.
3: Okay. And that like helps preserve fossil fuels. Like it's a, it's a an alternative.
0: Yeah, basically okay. it's yeah. um something they're setting up there
3: for that, did you know specifically what they're using the wind turbines for in regards of like not using fossil fuels? Uh,
0: as far as I know, it's really just using it to generate energy for um, Johnson and Wales specifically. But there's also there's also in Port of Province, there's another part, a company called Orsted. They helped create the first offshore wind farm on Block Island. And they are partnered with Eversource Energy and they're going to be creating a new wind facility in the Port of Providence.
3: Uh, So like a quick summary, basically, of uh, our story. So I was in the Solid Waste Group last semester uh, with Dan Long. And him and I went to Allen's Avenue, which is like a 1.8 mile stretch in Providence that's full of just like landfills and um, there's like a bunch of different companies there like Clean Earth, Sim's Metal Management. Clean Earth was like a company that takes the garbage from the landfills in Providence on, on Allen's Ave and ships um internationally. They give receipts back to the landfills saying that it's been disposed of, right? But we don't know where it's being disposed of and what other communities or places in the world that it could potentially be harming so that was like one of the big uh, one of the big issues that we found out on top of that like sims metal management basically they were a company that disposed of metal and they would like grind it up into like this really fine the sand like material fugitive dust and it was just like really fine metal and on like windy days which happens a lot by the port of providence It would get like blown off of like where it was being grinded up and it would like cover the street and like these metals obviously that's like not good for the community's health it's just disgusting it caused like you need to clean it up like it's not the whole point of it is to dispose of the metal and now it's just getting blown into the street so there was that and then there's linda perry was telling me like i talked to her last semester over the phone and she told me like some of like the important things were the narragansett improvement company had been storing asphalt along the waterfront in a 17 acre site for three years without any correct permits. So until people like Linda started to complain and speak up uh, about the legality of it, like no changes were happening. And as of last semester, what she told me that they were being fined $50 a day for storing the asphalt there, forcing them to at some point keep spending money on land use. So like they're spending $50 a day and there was a set date uh i'm not sure if she even told me that but she said there was a set date where they had to get rid of the garbage i don't know if they like had or didn't but as far as i know they're getting fined 50 dollars a day for having that there because it's right on the water so it just has to do more with how solid waste is affecting their community it's like going into the water it's polluting that polluting the streets Polluting the air—it's—it's—it's polluting everything. Basically, that whole area and community is being affected by these landfills. And like I said, going back to Clean Earth, they're like, "Oh, we're getting rid of this," but where are they getting rid of this? It's it's, not—it's—it's like a chain effect. So it's kind of hard to come up with a solution for that. So composting was one of the more common solutions. And according to government official, government officials in—I can't—I don't even know how to pronounce uh, this—L G U B L G A N A. Ljubljana, Slovenia, has forced or had focused on separating trash and recyclables directly from people's homes. And they have noticed great changes since they started separating organic material from solid trash has reduced the landfill percentages by 15%. I mean, we still do that here in the US. But you know, how diligent are people about it? Is it being regulated or not? And uh, this basically just allowed for the best of the solutions that you can really think of for landfills. I mean, it's it's uh, inevitable to get garbage and have it pollute communities, but the best you can do is try and put regulations on how much garbage, what kind of garbage, how much landfills are allowed to take in, where they're allowed to uh, disperse it to. That was that was pretty much our whole, yes, our whole uh, story in a
1: nutshell. Thanks, Jack, for your recording.
0: Today, we're talking about environmental justice in Rhode Island with our guest, the Director of Rhode Island Department of Health's Division of Environmental Health, Seema Dixit. She is also the lead for the Community Mitigation COVID-19 Government Response.
4: Welcome, Director Dixit. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you.
1: Our team spent the last month reporting on environmental justice issues in the Port of Providence. As our listeners just heard, but we would like to start with a broader question for you. As the person responsible for the environmental health of our communities in the state, what does environmental justice mean for you personally and for you as the director of the Division of Environmental
4: Health? Thank you uh, for the question Uh, and I'm glad to be here. This is a very important topic and um, we've talked, uh, I think people are familiar with the term of inequity now. Uh, we've done a good job making that term familiar. So what is social injustice? What is, he- what is health inequity? And then what is environmental justice? To me, environmental justice means to eliminate anything um, that can cause a disproportionate impact um, of uh, environmental conditions on, um, or health hazards on different communities. It could be communities of color. It could be communities that are economically disadvantaged. It could be communities that are indigenous. It could be communities that are geographically displaced. Um, It could be communities that have um, foreign born populations. So any and all communities that have a disproportionate impact of environment related conditions that do not result in optimal health condition for them is called as environmental justice from my perspective. There are um, widespread inequalities and inequities as it relates to access to food, access to clean air, access to clean water, access to ideal temperature conditions. uh, And all of those contribute to uh, inequities and uh, working towards removing them so that everybody has equal access to a healthy environment and a safe environment is environmental justice according to me.
0: So what does environmental health have to do with environmental justice in Rhode Island?
4: What does environmental health mean? Environmental health means um, ensuring that Rhode Islanders have access to safe and healthy food, safe and healthy drinking water, safe and healthy environmental conditions inside their homes and outside their homes in their environment. That's what we mean by environmental health. And what does environmental justice mean in Rhode Island? Is to ensure that every city and town, every zip code, every community, county in Rhode Island experiences the same access. And if they don't have that access due to a multitude of reasons, how can we work towards eliminating those reasons so that every zip code in Rhode Island can benefit from cleaner air, cleaner water, safer conditions, safer air quality and food and access to all of these.
1: From our reporting, we found that the communities near the Port of Providence have been particularly affected by the environmental issues. We saw problems with air pollution, water pollution, solid waste, and excessive heating, for example. How is the state government addressing these issues?
4: So some of the um, environmental conditions that are created in certain pockets of the state are a result and byproduct of things that have either happened in the past or have continued to happen, they take a while to be eliminated, right? First, it's taken us a long time to even realize and notice that there are these disparities and there are these conditions, just as the example you gave us. What does that mean? We have to first study to ensure that there is indeed a suboptimal health condition in that area. What could have caused it? We had to go back and look at historical and demographic data. What kind of industrial um, work happened there in the previous decades? Uh, What were the side effects of that? Do we have proof? And then what does it mean to clean up that work or to eliminate the hazards? So those are some of the things that the Department of Health works on. What the Department of Health does is we work on data-based evidence, data and epidemiological evidence which means what we know that has worked in the country, in the world. What do we know? We know certain things cause certain diseases. We know exposure to certain environmental conditions causes certain uh, ill health effects. So our job is to ensure that we share this information, we communicate, educate, and notify the public, the communities that are impacted, the decision makers who make a difference, of the work that goes on in their communities to stop it or to um, do the cleanup work or whatever it takes. Uh, And then we work towards ensuring this happens in terms of some of our regulatory authorities. So that's kind of a um, multi- multiple fold approach that the Department of Health works with. We work very closely with stakeholders. So it's the community that is actually impacted. It's the industries that are working or may have worked in the past over there. It's the decision makers, it's the legislators, it's the representatives, city councilors. So that's the kind of approach we take with any community, whether it's Port Appropriate, Providence or any other that is similarly impacted. And that's the same kind of work we are doing with Port of Providence as well, where we are gathering data, we are comparing it to what we know scientifically in other parts of the state or other parts of the country, and what has been published, what does the research show, and then how can we work to prove that.
0: And could you just expand on some of the ways you try to educate the public about these sort of things and some of the data you collect to help them make um, decisions or live healthier lives, um, safer lives?
4: Sure. So, um, in general, what our job is is to um, share what we know and what we learn. It's an evolving science. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Environmental Protection Agency, and several other, the National Institute of Health, um, National Cancer Institute, they keep publishing multiple. Um, details on different kinds of data in terms of exposure in terms of causative factors in terms of risk factors hazards so our job is a to review the data to share it with community it could be in the form of publishing it on our websites it could be in the form of sharing as a brief or a published paper um, and to educate um, those around us it could be in the form of having a community meeting to hear what concerns are and take them to where it is needed. So there's different ways we share the data. So A, we review the data, we collect the data, we share what is happening. Then we address people who are able to make decisions, educate them on the issue. So that's the kind of approach we adopt. In some cases, we adopt uh, approaches such as um, screening at physician offices, such as for lead in kids. That's another approach we do because we do work with physicians. So there's multiple ways we communicate, educate, uh, make people aware, make decision makers aware of all these issues.
0: And are there any specific initiatives that the Department of Health is um, going forward with?
4: Um, We are always working on um, multiple, multiple different programs. We currently have um, 150 programs at the Department of Health. Uh, not ne- not necessarily environmental, but a, a variety of programs that we work on. As far as environmental health goes, we help um, with so many critical issues. One example is lead screening in kids. Kids who are exposed to lead through um, paint, through wall paint or chipped uh, walls or chipped paint, in, particularly in old houses, Often, da- often show high levels of lead in their blood levels, and that is very detrimental, because so very high levels can cause brain damage. Even small levels are not good for kids. So we have now required that all pediatricians will um, screen kids under the age of six to ensure that um, their blood lead levels are normal. Should they have a high blood lead level that is um, found through their regular annual screening at the pediatrician's office, then we make sure that there is case management, which means we reach out and see exactly where that child is getting exposed to lead. Is it at home? Is it at daycare, Um, at grandma's house? Uh, And then ensure that there is cleanup done a safe lead cleanup is done to make sure there is no chipped walls, all the lead is removed. Until then, the family is actually displaced and asked to reside elsewhere before they move back in the house. So that's just, and then if the child has very high lead levels, they get. They need to get clinical attention, clinical care. So that's an example of our um, uh, childhood lead program. We have an initiative called as Health Equity Zones, where we have... Um, funded multiple community um, organizations or community partners uh, to work with us. We give them funding. Their job is to identify for their specified community. It could be one zip code, it could be a neighborhood, it could be a small portion of a small uh, city, community, town. We give them funding uh, and in return, they work with us for three, five, seven years to identify the key issues Uh, that exist in their community. In Providence, it could be Port Providence. It could be something else elsewhere um, to do, to collect data, to see what constituent problems are. The problems could be unsafe air. They may not have access to healthy food. They may have a lot of um, uh, rodents and pests in their housing, uh, public housing, whatever the issues are. And then we work with them to create awareness about that issue, um, check out data that exists to see if it actually is happening and then find ways to remediate it working with different partners statewide. So those are just a couple of examples of the different initiatives we take for environmental justice.
1: Have you seen substantial progress so far in the efforts to achieve social and environmental justice near the Port of Providence?
4: Yes, I think um, there um, there has been some progress. It's a very well-known issue. All the stakeholders holders are very well aware of it. The community is aware of it. So the, these there are conversations on what else could be done. Um, what is it? Um, what has been um, the case in terms of hazard in the past? Uh, has it been uh, airborne? Has it been um, through water? What What are the components that have that have caused these uh, hazardous conditions and damages? And then um, historically. How unfair has that been? So those, those things have been documented. Folks have been made well aware of that. And multiple stakeholders are now working to eliminate that and to ensure that it doesn't happen again. So I do see that as progress. As I said, some of these environmental conditions and hazards are only realized after many, many years of being in existence. And so it takes some time to ensure that the place is cleaned up and there is no more exposure and it's safe.
1: What other areas in Rhode Island are the most heavily affected by pollution and other environmental issues?
4: So I may not be able to pinpoint exactly on uh, which areas um, um, particularly, but it depends on the issue. Um, for example, we know that um, communities that have old housing often have lead in their water service pipelines. Uh, old housing is known to have lead lead in their pipelines. So. That's an example of communities that have very old homes may not have lead remediation done in their water service lines as a result of which they may be exposed to lead. Um, There are some communities which are particularly, uh, which particularly urban areas do not have a lot of greenery around them. As a result, the climate change results in as high as 12 degrees more temperature in those communities because there is no green canopy, meaning there is not much um, greenery around, you know, in those areas which are inner city neighborhoods. So that's another example of um, where there is um, an environmental health issue in terms of some communities being more exposed than the others. Um, there is issues of um, water being um, exposed to um, different chemicals based on if there there may have been in the past um, industries or uh, manufacturing uh, plants that may have resulted in groundwater contamination through the you know through the soil so depending on the area and depending on the issue there may be some communities that may be more impacted than others in Rhode Island
0: how has the state worked with local communities to address justice issues related to climate justice for example we just saw the town of warren having to move an entire neighborhood because of sea level rise and flooding mhm These are issues that will affect Rhode Rhode Island heavily. So what are the Department of Health's plans to prepare for the health needs of the local communities facing climate change and environmental pollution and what solutions are available?
4: Sure. So uh, climate change is ever evolving as we know and it's happening faster than we would have ever imagined. Uh, Be it the receding coastlines or uh, the increase in temperatures or the number of hurricanes that have come in or just about, you know, um, just the irregular temperature patterns and so many other things, the harmful algae blooms in um, water as well as um, the bacterial conditions in beaches which force us to close the beaches over um, summer which is the most popular time in Ocean State. So what do we do to make people um, to support and reduce the impact of climate change and other environmental hazards? As I said before, we, um, our primary goal is to educate educate communicate i can't emphasize that enough everybody right we have like very simple climate change related lessons for like middle school kids in school so that they know 10 years 20 years 30 years from now what is going to be the impact and what does climate change mean everybody talks about the impact of climate change about the impact of global health you know um, global warming and what does that actually mean so our number one goal is to educate our website has information We do information sharing wherever we get an opportunity, whether it's school, college, media, communities, legislators, decision makers. So we do education and communication and awareness. We, when possible, conduct workshops for resiliency to improve a community's resiliency. How do you protect yourself from hurricanes? Have a hurricane kit in your house. Is your house hurricane proof? Um, what do you do in snowstorms that have you know increased in frequency what do you do if you are a coastal town that may have um, coastal line receding impacts over the years to come how do you protect yourself how do you work uh, if your areas get high temperatures is there a cooling shelter in your neighborhood where you can go during the day if it's so hot and you do not have air conditioning Um, do we we have grants where we um, encourage people to uh, plant trees, we create canopies, and you know, uh, tree planting uh, grants that are available, um, and we try to invest in those. So those are some of the ways through which we um, inform, educate the communities, and at the same time, try to give them some tools or some small mechanisms with which they could reduce the impact. Similarly, at the state level, uh, legislators are working very hard. Such as, you know, looking at what is next for um, reduced carbon emission vehicles. What does it mean to promote uh, public transportation versus, you know, driving your own cars? What does it mean to have electric vehicles versus uh, regular gas driven cars? Uh, and so many other things. So those are some of the ways Department of Health participates in educating and in. Um, Trying to reduce the impact of environmental um, conditions on different communities
0: and has there been um, a positive negative um, response from the public regarding these education has there been any success with it
4: yes i think um, i think we've done um, a good job educating people getting making them aware of what is climate change what is social justice why is your community Um, Have you noticed your community doesn't have any trees, any greenery? Have you noticed your community does not have access to healthy fresh food as compared to some other communities, so you're forced to eat unhealthy um, foods? Are you um, aware, um, have you noticed that these are some of the ways that you could reduce the heating in your house? These are some of the ways that you could reduce the impact, whether it's um, um, electricity air conditioning bill or something else so i think there has been enough of a success for people to know if you live in an old house what does that mean landlords now know that they need to have lead conformance in their homes before you know uh, they rent out their homes to people if it's an old home foster care parents are required um, people um, parents who have foster kids are required to make sure their homes are lead safe and are in conformance so that kids who they um, adopt for foster care are not exposed to lead. So there are different multiple ways by which we have created awareness. Some of the issues that people would not have heard or known two, three, five, seven years ago uh, are now often um, heard in common lingo, which I consider as a success that um, folks are being aware. There are sometimes there are questions put on city town ballots, which is a big deal um, to get people's consensus for moving something. So I think we've we've seen success in that area to some extent, yeah. Do you have anything else you would like to share with our listeners? I think uh, my only message uh, to the listeners would be that um, it's an exciting time. And while the pandemic has taken over our lives and normalcy, Um, over the last uh, two years, uh, the environment around them is rapidly changing as well. Um, Global warming climate change crisis is um, coming in more fast and furious than we would have ever imagined. Um, The Department of Health is always available. Our website is very robust. We have a ton of information on our website. Uh, Should anybody be concerned about them being exposed to anything in their environment, them having questions if they are living in a safe environment, them wanting to know as Rhode Islanders whether they have access to safe water, safe food, safe air. um, They can always approach the Department of Health and educate themselves. We are more than happy to share to make them informed so that they can make healthy decisions and live in healthy um, conditions for the optimum uh, health they can achieve.
0: Thank you very much for your time, Director Dixit. We really appreciate you coming to talk about these issues affecting Rhode Island and its residents.
4: Sure. It's my pleasure, and I hope this topic continues to remain important to people. Thank you for having me. This is Shannon Brawley.
0: And this is Sam Elwell.
4: Stay tuned for our next episode, where we will be talking about the
1: Barrington Farm School.
0: Listen for us on your favorite streaming service. See you next month.
1: EcoTalk is a co-production of EcoRI News and the Communities of Hope Journalism program at Roger Williams University. Hosted by Shannon Raleigh and Sam Elwell, our chief editor is Frank Carini, and our executive producer is Bernardo Mata. Our production and reporting team includes Will Nichols, Jocelyn Jackson, Jack Aviles, and with additional reporting from Andrew Hart and James Zadowski. Emily Rosen is the news production manager. The music was made by Shannon Brawley. Special thanks to our guests, Seema Dixit from the Rhode Island Department of Health and Linda Perry, President of the Washington Park Neighborhood Association. And to the team from Roger William University's Environmental Justice Reporting Class in the fall of 2021.